Can you give us a summary of what Plan B is about? It's a teenage quest movie revolving around two women of color who are extremely othered in their predominantly white high school town. And they go on a crazy, crazy quest with a lot of wild things happening in order to get the Plan B pill after Sunny gets pregnant at a high school party. Or doesn't get pregnant. She may be pregnant. She may be pregnant. She does not get pregnant, to be very clear. That's a huge delineation. She's not pregnant. <laughs> not pregnant. Not pregnant. <laughs> yeah. She just could be, you know. She could be. This feels like a rare opportunity where all the pieces you've been sort of moving around are like all rising at the same time. So I'm curious how you're dealing with all that. I've kind of tried to stay out of the discussions of art entirely <laughs> during the pandemic, to be fair. Why is that? I feel like I had to redefine for myself uh, what kind of artist I wanted to be. And that's why I kind of, I needed to like kind of filter out the noise a little bit. But yeah, I think you're, you're completely right. Things that I have been kind of gardening have finally been kind of blossoming now. I work for a nonprofit theater and development, and that's the sort of thing that they tell you there. And it's taught me a lot about auditioning in that notion. If you're planting all these seeds so that these people, in my case, in this development job case, will call you back eventually, like down the line. Eventually they could give you like thousands of dollars to this theater and you'll make some commission. And I feel that way about auditions where like, or even really any creative pursuit that you do beyond auditions, in terms of like at least trying and like creating different paths for yourself, you have so many more opportunities. And I'm curious to see how, what it took for you to sort of let this garden kind of flourish. I'm recalling conversations that I've had earlier in my career as a student about this very thing and how it was kind of presented to me in a way of like this is a game that you have to play the game is to like always you know canoodle your way into everyone's different whatever's orbits and make yourself known and hope that they'll get you back one day and that's what ne networking is about and I'm like sure yeah but <laughs> When you, when you attack it that way, there is a level of, I feel, dishonesty and um, inauthenticity that, that will also get you back later and will blossom with it. Um, it reminds me of those flowers that you like, when you put the white flowers into colored water and the petals become that color, it reminds me of that, of like, you know, that's how like a lot of daisies and that kind of stuff, like when you see them be like bright purple or bright blue, it's exactly that. It's like the fl the flowers will blossom, but what kind of water you put it in, it shows later. And I only bring that up because I, I truly feel like I did not want, I didn't like maneuver myself into a lot of these different genres and all these different mediums. Like I genuinely wanted to figure out the rules of each of these genres and I genuinely wanted to be part of them and learn um, my failings in each of them and where I flourished in each of them. And in doing so, now I can look around and be like, wow, this is like, there's a lot of stuff surrounding me that's all really, really different. And I get to be part of them all. That's so amazing. Two thirds of this, I'll be honest with you. When I first saw the trailer for Plan B, I, I seriously thought that like you were part of the writing of it. And I thought you were part of the, I know, and I know that's not true. Seeing that like somebody from the theater who, I, I, I did know like who you were for, for some time. Like I had, I had actually been doing this podcast when uh, all the people from A Strange Loop were nominated for Lord Tell Awards. And in my mind, I was just like, Strange Loop, 
nothing else can defeat it. And then like, when I saw you won this award for Octet, I was like, I, I never actually checked out Octet. When I listened to it, when I listened to it during the pandemic, that hit me so much harder than I, I don't, and I don't know, maybe you've heard this from people, but like people have been really clinging to their technology. And I say that also for myself because so much of the time that we spend, I've used technology a lot for that. And that one song of yours, Beautiful, has these like incredible lyrics. And I found her and she found me in the lonely, ugly chaos of the internet. And I feel so much about the connections I've made through this podcast and even beyond it, like virtually, are sort of like the, the foundations of like finding like real intimacy in the world again as an artist. I'm curious how you got involved in Octet. Thank you for saying all that. I feel like Octet was another blossoming moment where, where I really do feel extremely privileged and extremely lucky. And of course I am privileged. I went to NYU. That kind of network is like, is incomparable in a lot of ways. Unparalleled, yeah. You know, yeah. And, and I could not have done that with a, lo a lot of things going right for me, um, you know. Um, but Octet for me was another blossoming moment where it, it just felt like someone along the way uh, referred me and that's how I've gotten, gotten into a lot of rooms. People have just been like, you know who you should check out? This person is really great to work with. Of course, there's a level of talent and intelligence there and collaboration there. But like, first and foremost, I really fully believe it's because I like to show up in a room and, and I prefer to be kind uh, or at least try to be, or I prefer to be um, as present as I can possibly been, be and be helpful toward the like fruition of the, pro the project. Someone I think referred me and, and I was there for the first workshop and then like half of the cast got uh, changed out and replaced for the second workshop. And I held on with the same part. And then eventually we got to do that signature theater. So that was really fun. Also, I do want to loop back and it's so funny that you do say about the writing of plan B because a lot of it was improv. Was improv, okay. Yeah. That makes a lot sense of it. to me. Yeah. So it felt very, you know, true to us. Of course, like, so Pratika Srinivasan and Joshua Levy were the two writers of it, Hayden and uh, John Hurwitz. So they, yeah, yeah, they were the producers of Harold yeah. and Warren. They were also some of the producers for this. So there was a script and like, we did stick to it, but there were a lot of things also that we were changing all the time, me, my co-stars and also the director to keep it fresh and alive. I just love that when you're watching a movie and you can you can feel the energy shift and you're like this just feels like it's soaring for some reason and then later you're like oh it's because it was improv yes i i'm so glad you clarified that and what i love also is that like you can talk this way but you're also like you're mad silly it's <laughs> like you're one of the silliest fucking people i've seen on stage sometimes good i'm glad i'm glad i know it's so funny like i, I go into this like I'm speaking about things that I care about. And then someone will ask me a question where I'm like, fuck, 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 <laughs> Indian women. And like, they're like, who is this person now? That's like the juxtaposition about you specifically that I rock with is you have this crazy classically trained instrument, but then at the same time, you're just like another silly fucking person. I'm curious what was improvised in the movie. It was reactions to things. It was a lot of like me and my co-star had a lot of like, understandings of, of like how to 
how to create a, a beat and like kind of like a pattern and patter of conversation with each other, which was really helpful when it comes to improvising those moments. There were a lot of things. There was like when I was coming out of the gas station and I was like, oh my God, this is so, with the necklace, the yeah. necklace, and I was like, this is so cute. I wasn't sure about you, but now things like that. And like the little seatbelt moment where Sunny's like, on, she's like on the way to the quest and she's trying to get that seatbelt off. Yes. That, um, when she's freaking out and she was like, I could have, like, I have, my head is pounding. I could have TSS. That's toxic shock syndrome, Lupe. I haven't even put a tampon <laughs> in. It has carcinogens. That was all improvised. So there was a lot. There was a lot of little, little things like that. You have people working on both ends, giving agency to people on, like, a studio movie at that as well. It's just, like, what, what, what a privilege. And that actually, it baffles me, too, because you went to Steinhardt. I don't know if, like, you ever got any of that on-camera training. And that's very exciting. That's more exciting that, that you don't, because it leads you to ask questions that, like, the people who are already sort of focused on their, like, on-camera-ness yeah. would never ask. It was a boot camp, for sure. I wasn't even the kid that did the YouTube like vlogs and shit like that I've never done that I've never seen myself through a camera ever how long have you been auditioning on camera technically I've been around for the last three pilot seasons but because I was doing theater stuff I was booked up during those two so I, I didn't really like I kind of my heart wasn't in it and I really like honestly didn't want to do it I was like I'm not ready for it it's not where I am in my life I feel uncomfortable in these spaces I just don't want to do it yet and it was like this past pilot season before COVID is when I kind of made a decision inside me. I was like, I'm ready for it now. I want to, I'm going to try and I'm going to like really, I'm going to book something. I remember people thought I was fucking annoying because I was telling all my friends, I was like, this is the year I book something big. This is the year I, I get to be on TV and film and I get to have my little boot camp and I get to learn a shit ton. And they're like, okay. And then I booked plan B and it's like, cool. Yeah. I was completely ready for this and it happened. No, you manifested the shit out of that. Very good at doing that. <laughs> As you should be, that verbiage is very important for a mindset and somewhere between the mindset and the action yeah. is at luck, like being ready for the moment and just being loose enough not to give a shit about it and also just giving yourself that freedom. Well, it's like, and, are you using that word to, are you using that word as an excuse or are you using it as an explanation? And for me, I, I very much use it as an explanation for my like mental agility and prowess and my true belief and faith in if I put all my energy towards something, then the universe has no choice but to listen. One of the things that you've spoken about when you were talking about this movie was past teen movies are like always so exploitative and they sort of lean on the, the narrative that, that in some ways pornography kind of pushes and, and like they sort of use that as sort of like a crush for aesthetic to make it more universally appealing. And with this movie, it just feels like instead of taking all that energy, it's as if it recentered it towards like the autonomy of the two lead characters I'm so glad that you said about the, the autonomy because that's really what, it, they're in potentially dangerous situations. No one is denying the fact that they are too, like in this state, in this town, they are two minorities, you know? No one's denying that, but that fact is never used to take advantage of them or to belittle them or disrespect them or it, the power's always with them. Even when they're getting cat called outside of a gas station, those people look like idiots and we're in charge. We're driving the scenes. And that makes all the difference. I don't want to just, you know, make this a testament to like 
gender as a whole. But I would say that that's the difference between like, like uh, women leading a movie about women and men leading a movie about women, right? Mm -hmm. Is that you're like every box is, is, is checked in terms of like the safety of, of that shot, uh, making sure that like we know where we're focusing our energy and I honestly don't even think this movie, people wouldn't have, have had the, the mind to make this five years ago. Like when I was even just getting out of school, I think Booksmart was like the top thing and was swapping the gender of Superbad, right? But I do think that this specific movie about two women of color and exploring their autonomy just beyond you know, making sure that like we have an equitable workplace on set, really exploring each of their stories was like so important to this. And I think it, it not only like adds autonomy to the two of you and, and your work and, and what lies ahead for, for you two as actors in this industry, but it adds autonomy to the audience who saw it. So we'd love to see that. We had a Judge Danforth reference, not like three minutes into the movie. I was loving that. That's how you know theater people were involved. <laughs> I knew I knew I was safe there. Um, a main focus of this movie also is is not so much harping on your mistakes and, and self forgiveness. As as a teenager, were you similar to to Sunny in in that way, or were you already pushing against the narrative yourself? At Sunny's age, I was more of a Lupe. Uh, I was a lot more, everything's fine. And I'm internally combusting a little bit, really trying to rebel and push back of like what's expected of me. And so there was a lot of anger there. There was a lot of like simmering emotions there as Lupe. And Vic, who plays my, who plays Lupe in the movie, she, I think she was very much a sunny. So we kind of did a little switcheroo. Um, but uh, in middle school, I was a little bit more like sunny, just very earnest and earnestly trying to, to, have ownership over myself and I, I did feel a certain sense of like yeah whatever I'm a cool bitch but then I didn't realize until later that like oh people don't see me that way there's like there's a, a kind of conflict in my brain of like how I see myself versus like how society views you and it's that moment that every single person has I think whether you're queer or a person of color where you're like you realize oh this is how I'm seen or like yeah. this is where I stand in the in the macro world. Didn't know that until now. <laughs> I absolutely feel that as a queer person. I felt that a lot when I was uh, a teenager too, because I specifically would be like walking around, just like being like a little loud in the body and the self, <laughs> and yeah. people people would would be like, um, you know, you can just like act a little straighter. It's like not a big deal. And I'm like, oh, now that I know that it's not a big deal, I guess, uh, I guess I'll just like be a little louder. <laughs> and and right. like, yeah, and obviously I think when we're teenagers, we have so much like conflicting narratives in our head about like, be, be the beat of your own drum, but then everybody around you is just like, it's almost in some ways like a little uh, example of what the rest of the world looks like right. uh, while you don't have the freedom that adults have and I think that's what makes teenagers lives a lot harder yeah I have a huge respect for teenagers especially after playing so many teenagers I used to be still am used to be like terrified of them annoyed by them etc and now I just have nothing but the most deep respect for them because everything is zero to a hundred but also even if the microcosm of high school that they are in is not representative of the world that is their world they don't have the wherewithal to see beyond it yet and 
So yeah, even if you're like, be yourself, march to the beat of your own drum. And then everyone is like, the drum you own is wrong. Then it's like, great, where do I go from here? I even felt that wanting to go into acting because nobody else in my school was. And my guidance counselor was just like, it's not too late. I'm like, God, it's senior year. Like the applications are set. Like, are you going to call these colleges and ask them, ask them to transfer me from like the BA in theater to marine biology? I don't think so. I just have notes and notes and endless notes of, of just like the way you pep yourself up in, in your party scene where you just go through your closet, seeing everybody downstairs, having seen them all like dressed, you know, hot, so to speak. And I have been there running through my closet. I've definitely like cut a sleeve. It's one of the most accurate portrayals I've seen of a teenager. Good. I'm so glad. I know it's always like a, a fearful thing of like, am I going to look like ain't fucking ancient in this? And I was watching and I was like, no, I feel like I really hit the mark as far as like, you're like, you think that they're mature or whatever. And you're like, oh no, you're trying to, con- they're trying to convince themselves that they're mature so badly. And then something happens and they freak out and you're like, oh no, these girls are 17. They're 17. <laughs> With the deer of Hansen trailer, all these people are like hamming on Ben Platt because he looks like 47 or whatever. And I'm like, you know what? Like, I, I almost understand why they didn't think that was going to be an issue, but I... I, I just wish that like they tested an audience of people that were not most likely the friends of those people, but by then it would have been too late. So I, I have such mixed feelings about that entire thing. Um, I really do because being on the other side of it's like you worked really hard on a thing and then it's out and then people are just really just talking about the way you look is like really shitty and like it's so hard. And at the same time, I'm like, y'all, it's st- you're still centering so many white people in the story. And you could, and at the last minute, you cast all of the friends as people of color because you wanted to cover your ass, and it shows, and it's, it's brutally, brutally transparent. And I have so much more respect for Nick Dodani than just a supporting role that he plays. For example, he's one of like the most unique sort of queer Indian makers in in Hollywood, like yeah. such as yourself. All they keep giving him are these straight like best friends. When do you realize like the the treasure that you have in front of you? This kid is writing scripts. He is not just relying on on like, you know, and I, I honestly, I do feel the same way because I think about Ben Platt and I'm like, what if I could sing like that? And I was one of the only people I felt like could sing like this. And I saw myself in this movie and everybody was shitting on me. That would feel really bad. It would, I, I empathize, but like, I don't empathize with like, I don't think this needed to be told either. Almost. I, I, I don't either. I completely agree. <laughs> um, and I have buds in it. And you know, it's, it's just a shame because it's a story that I think is really toxic and um, you know, okay. Yay. It's an original musical and we love that. And I do want to celebrate that at the same time. Come on. We've all worked long enough in this industry where we know that how many amazing original stories there are by people of color and by trans people that uh, really deserve to be uplifted that are, you know, not even a fraction as toxic as this. So, you know, there's room for it all. And yeah, and as far as Nick Dodani goes, like he's gonna make his money and he's gonna be seen and whatever. And and I don't think he need, I don't think he needs to, I'm just gonna put it out in the universe. He doesn't need to worry about how people see him or how, what he's receiving from that end of the industry, from the other side of the table, because I truly believe, I agree with you. He's a maker, he's a creator, and I think he's gonna be just fine. And he's gonna be able to do that for himself. I do believe that. 
Trina gives me the vibe that he doesn't give a shit. I'm done with the other, worrying about the other side of the table. Not that I really ever have, but um, I really, it's not worth it because we just live our lives differently and we see things differently. And if it doesn't click, then that means that I'm going to have a bad time working with you anyway. So I don't want to. Um, yes. I don't get cast in something and I truly mean this and I'm not trying to be facetious. The minute I'm not cast in something, I see it as the universe itself saving me from something that would have been awful and that I would have had an awful time on. How did you come to that conclusion? Every project I work on, every project I audition for, I see it from like a macro level of like, what are you, how is everyone trying to make this project happen? And what is everyone going for? What is the tone of the entire piece? I'm thinking, I'm envisioning the costumes, the set, the lighting, I'm seeing everything. Because if I understand that, if I understand I as an audience member, what am I supposed to feel? You as a director, I get all that tonally in my head and I go in and then I do what I think they're looking for and they're not and they don't cast me for whatever reason. Then I'm like, our visions don't match. If our visions don't match, I'm not the right person to be in this room. If you're not doing what I think this should be crafted as, then yeah, clearly don't, don't hire me, please. I don't want to do your vision. That's going to make me feel so much better about the like 40 self tapes I have to send out in the next two months. Now, it's tough. yeah, but obviously like, and you're, you're still doing all that stuff. Like I hope people don't realize like yet, yeah, like, you can still be the lead of a movie and you still like got to send in those tapes for, for whatever, because you're so di like diversified over the mediums. Although like, if you ask me offer only, I hope you don't think that way. And I'm sure you No, it's so funny. Like people are like, how is your life different? And I'm like, not, it's not at all. It feels right. pretty much exactly the same. I can get the extra guac sometimes. That's what it feels like. <laughs> That's what it is. Just another thing I wanted to celebrate about this movie, and it goes back to what we were saying about uh, Evan Hansen, is that the people behind the table are making decisions about the people on the shows and on these on film and on TV mm -hmm. that are going to be the leads of these movies. And right now, I'm seeing a huge surge in like the amount of women of color that are getting narratives about themselves that are like authentic and. Even I believe, as as you've said, you know, you've you've had to during this process sort of balance the sort of sh shame that you brought from your experience and uh, sort of make sure that like there's still like a lot of joy left over. And having a director lead that is great because we're seeing people like you, people like Midori Francis. Mahala Heralds, who is in this movie, by the way. Have you seen Industry? So actually, Mahala gave me her login to watch it because I don't have hey! HBO. <laughs> oh, don't tell HBO. Don't tell HBO. They'll sue me. They'll sue her. But yeah, she was like, I was like, oh, I don't have an HBO. I want to see your show. She was like, here, take mine. I was like, hell yeah. But she's such a fucking superstar. I literally am in love with her. I DM her probably every single week just to like bitch about things. Um, yeah, she's my boo. I love her so fucking much. I wanted to say something about, you mentioned it earlier, and I put a flag up in my brain about it. A lot of the times, directors who are not specifically the ethnicity or the gender or the whatever of the characters that they're speaking of can also make a great movie about the person, right? Like, we've all seen it. I think there's a nice middle ground with Plan B that's happening where it's like, Natalie's not an Indian person. 
you know, she is a Latinx woman person. She's a Latina, but she's not an Indian person. But she could still authentically tell those stories because of her practice of inclusivity, which is so much more than just having the diverse people or like diverse people, whatever that means. Having the people that like, oh, you're this color, so this is what it is. No, some of the most toxic workplaces that I've worked in have been all Indian musicals with all Indian creative teams. Wow. Because the practice of inclusivity is different than just blinded, blind representation. Yeah, of course it is. I mean, I'll speak on this for like a minute. My experience since last June was with a, uh, a non-union theater company led by a, a gay artistic director who was a person of color. Mm -hmm. And there was still problems with exploiting racial trauma in all these stories. Mm -hmm. So it, I agree with you that it's obviously clearly not enough to like check your boxes anymore. You kind of have to like be, be kind to people and not just say it like Ellen, you know, like actually like take, take part time out of your heart and make space for other people. And generally like, when I work that way, I have to worry less about like sort of bringing myself to everything because it's really not about that as much as it is just like making space and time for people in, 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 your, in your heart. And yeah. there's not a lot of time for that in our industry, people seem to think. I've definitely gotten myself into some trouble where I have given people a little bit too much of the benefit of the doubt where I'm like, well, they're white, but there are people of color on their creative team who they're saying that they're listening to and so maybe it will be fine and maybe that they won't exploit the situation maybe they won't fuck up the situation and then I've been really hurt because it's like you're either not listening to these people or you're not listening to the cast or you're not being completely transparent in your practices and there's just like an unwillingness I feel from a lot of white liberals uh, behind these tables to acknowledge that they have the upper hand here as the people that are casting, as the people that are accepting us into the jobs, they have the upper hand. Therefore, the least they can do in these situations is have full transparency. And it's gonna make their jobs so much easier down the line. It's gonna completely give them the opportunity to see things they would have seen when it was way too late. We have this conversation in the midst of like, in the heights, just coming out, right? And there's a shared celebration of that. It honestly, for me, it felt like I was getting punched in the tear ducts when I was like watching it like constantly because I was in it a, a very long time ago in a community theater production, which obviously of course isn't great. Not a great thing to say that. And it does exist on YouTube. So, oh, and, it's no. not, and it's not my video. So there's nothing I could do Can't about do it. Can't do anything. It's all over. And there's also the conversation about the erasure of like Afro Latinx yeah. who basically aren't represented in any of the leading roles. Everything I say matters, but it matters less in the situation what my opinion is on the movie. Right. That being said, I have been seeing a lot of, there's this conversation about baby steps versus baby step change versus huge revolution, right? And I go back and forth on this all the time. And of course, it's a case by case scenario. I thought that this was flawed, but an overwhelming win. It was more than baby steps of a win through my eyes. I thought they got so much of it right while also still being wrong. Because I, I know the show so in, so inherently, like mm -hmm. I obviously, me and my friend were sitting next to each other and, and we were like, where's the lottery? 
I don't understand why isn't this the center of this story. Uh, I suddenly realized like when they revealed it, I was like, oh, they actually substituted the necessity for like currency being the American dream for heritage and like family right. being more centered. So it's it's like we were saying about Plan B, it's just recentering the narrative towards something less capitalistic and, and a lot more organic. I, I did not like 96,000. I liked seeing all of the people in 96,000. I think like that scene was one of those rare moments where you actually saw what Washington Heights looks like. But personally, I think Sonny got done wrong by having like a bunch of water splashing in his face during that rap. I think that kid is so talented and I think it, it got in the way sometimes. I'm, I'm not, it's that, that Bugsby choreographer dude that they were trying to go for. I see it, but nah, that was such a John Shu move too. Yeah. You know, he would do that. He's all about scale, but you know, that was my only thing with it. I don't know the original musical well enough. It was actually my first time watching it all the way through was the movie. Um, I'm actually like not that much of a musical theater like person. Like I don't know a lot about musical theater, which is like history, really? which is so funny. Um, yeah, I just like gravitated toward, you know, toward certain stories that I really like and I resonate with. It's so random that you'd be like, what are you talking about? Well, like literally some of my favorite shows are like Passion by Sondheim. Oh it's like, God. Prop, it's actually, I don't know why I'm saying probably. I'm like, baby, I'm like backing up now. It is my favorite show of all time, is Passion. Wow. People like hated that show when it came out. And I just think it's so beautiful and disgusting and disturbing and wonderful. But that's why I'm too, I'm like, when people ask me like, hey, like what's your dream role? And I'm like, I don't, I truly, honestly, from the bottom of my heart, I don't have one. I don't think that there's a role that, roles that are written for me. That's my favorite. That's my dream role. <laughs> Every single time there's been a role that I get to develop, that's what it is. There's so much agency there. There's so much autonomy. Um, me and my my partner were just talking about how last night about the agency in film and TV is the kind of agency you get in like a nine to five job where if I go into interview for a job for a managerial position and they're like, yeah, great. Like, we don't know you. We're getting to know you, whatever. If I get the job, I walk in the next day and I'm the manager. That's that. I have that autonomy. And that doesn't happen in theater. It's like you could be in workshops for years and you still don't have any sense of job security or authority in the room. And with film and TV, it's more like the manager where it's like, you're no one, we don't give a shit about you. But if you come in and you do the audition and you're the person, the first day of work you come in, you go, it's you. You have authority in that room. You are that role. And that kind of agency is like, and I hate to put in that capitalistic term, but really that's what it feels like. It feels like, yes, I have power. You gave me this job. You gifted me this job. You're not dangling it. It's funny because I love theater so much, but like it's as I'm getting older, I'm like, I can't believe you people are so stupid, so blind to see that like the reason people are going to TV and film gets treated with more respect as a consultant yeah. to a writer yeah. than, than he does on like some other things. Yeah, and selling out. It's not the money. It's not selling out. It's agency. It's fucking respect. Yes, absolutely. And I, that's why I loved, I loved seeing you in there because having not even been on Broadway yet, it finally shows recognition of like theater beyond, I mean, I say this octet was on 42nd Street, but the idea of theater beyond 42nd Street. If this residency at 54 Below called Sounds of Healing, 
Friday, July 2nd. What are the sounds of healing? What is the music that you love that speaks to you right now? Well, I'm doing a lot of different genres, like very, to, to really segue from what we've been talking about this whole time. So many different genres. I'm doing um, like a Polish art song. I'm doing like, I'm doing like John Denver. I'm doing Tank and the Bangas. I'm doing wow. Indiari. I'm doing <laughs> a lot of a lot of stuff. Did you grow to know them during uh, during your time at school or are these people you grew up on? Some of them are during quarantine, some of them are during my high school years and I truly my goal through it was how do I, these songs that we almost forget exist in our lives because they're buried deep in our shuffle and they always come on and they're just like this one little tiny perfect pocket of song that's random and doesn't have context. It's just like a song that we stumbled upon and we're like oh, that's a beautiful song. It's not about the artist. It's not even about, it's not about anything except this one little vignette of beauty. I wanted to pull all of those songs out of my shuffle and do them. Exposing people to all sorts of music they would have never heard is actually far more exciting to hear in 54 Below that you're doing that versus your, you know, Sondheim set, which is dope, by the way. Ellery Ward, she was just on the podcast and she put out this incredible, album of like Sondheim songs inst nice. inspired by Sufjan Stevens like to that style. Oh, he has a song from Passion on there I actually think but it's a lot of Follies, a uh, lot of Sweeney and it all works. It all slaps so <laughs> we love to see that. Kuhu's Cloud is Thursday June 30th at 9 p.m. Yeah. What's this? I'm pre-recording the whole thing um, but it's gonna be a compilation of it's gonna be as if you stumbled into someone's iCloud storage and see all of their videos back to back to back, just as if you're just kind of like sifting through their lives. So a lot of it's gonna be self tapes um, that I have written, like I've like written self tapes. Some of them are gonna be really realistic. Some of them are gonna catch conversations that I'm having with someone in the room that you don't see, or maybe a FaceTime call with my mom, but it basically tracks the, uh, the jaded, sometimes racist journey of someone who is being branded every single given moment by the kind of breakdowns they're receiving and expecting to carry out. Whoa. So this is much more about the industry and how it, how it perceives you and how you perceive it in response. That's, that's fascinating. Yeah. Of like how much of our personalities are dictated by uh, how, how we're branded and do we rebel against it? Do we move closer to it? How are we psychologically dealing with that trauma of being uh, perceived all the time? It's really important to be able to, to, to see yourself for, for where you're at and not where people sort of want to brand where you're at uh, because yeah. it's so easy to like just go down somebody else's path because somebody told you to. And I'm glad you're not. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've had my fair share of body dysmorphia too because of this industry, but yeah, um, it's exacerbated definitely by, by well-meaning and really terrible casting and casting directors. I was losing weight as the lockdown was beginning and I was going on my last auditions and these casting directors and even like piano bar people were like, you look, hey, it follows you around. It really follows you around. Are but you? What if you do watch you? it, I mean, funny the camp presidency, recently, um, there's going to be a little bit of that as well. Like, um, well again, so. These are the things. That, you honestly, know what to I, do, I, I love I even like how I see it's dictated from, from I just all feel of so these artists about yeah. just the breakdowns of body positivity. 
And I understand that's plain-based, and like, I honestly it made me stronger industry. before I decided to so make it changes to my health. It works well in moderation. Be but that that, that I feel I equip to just sort of coexist time. with each other. It's, I feel like the most like untalked about. Uh, like, even yeah. though it I'm, does I'm feel like people are it. talking about it all the time, I don't think people are are talking about <clears throat> how pervasive it is globally. Um, this like epidemic of of body trauma and body and yeah, body dysmorphia. It follows you around. It really follows you around. But if you do watch it, the camp residency, um, there's going to be a little bit of that as well. I love everything I, I've seen from from all of these artists. Just the breakdowns of it, the things about like the trans experience, things about dating, things about like how we're perceived in the industry. Sort of feels like Ars Nova has always been that place yeah. to to sort of be that that habitat for people to just sort of coexist with each other. These artists feels like a compound. is what it feels like, and uh. I'm, I'm, I'm here for it. This has been like such a rewarding conversation. And for the record, I my some friends of mine have reached out to you before, like as fans, and they told me you were always nice to them. So like to hear that you are just a, a wonderful person when I'm not talking to you, I, I would have assumed right away. Um, but to, to hear it from others, and when I told them you were going on, uh, they were all just like, what a, w w like, I trailblazer, I believe one of them said. So this whole time for you, it's like, really, something, it must be a joy. Thank you. Oh, that means, that like makes me emotional. That means like really the world. I, yeah, that, that's the greatest compliment of, I've, I ever hear is when someone is like, Oh yeah, this person said you were nice. I literally tear up. I'm like, oh my god, I hope so, because I really think I'm so so mean. Um, I'm so hard on myself in that way. So I just really, I I hope so. I hope so. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I don't think, I don't think your external personality is any indication of of your character. Is it such a bad thing to say? <laughs> like whether you feel like in one moment cold, it doesn't mean you're a cold person. A lot of my friends who, and I'm a, like a very like, like warm outward New York kind of guy. Right. A lot of my friends aren't like, aren't the like most warm people right away. That doesn't speak to who they are as, as that doesn't speak to their character. It's all just I don't defense. Care. It's all just always defense mechanisms. That's all. As, yeah. And honestly, yeah. you got to protect yourself. Like yeah. I, I hear that. So all of y'all should go check out Plan B. It's now streaming on Hulu. Kuhu's amazing in it. Uh, Vic is amazing in it. Natalie Morales directorial, like second uh, feature film. And I had no idea she directed it until like after I'd watched it. I was like, damn, this is it's incredible. Mm -hmm. I thought it was like uh, somebody, seemed like somebody who had been directing for like 15 years, but she knew the genre really well. Yeah. And it, it shows. And then you could check out Kuhu's Cloud as part of the Ars Nova residency, Thursday, June 30th at 9 p.m. And uh, Kuhu Verma Sounds of Healing, Friday, July 2nd at 9 p.m. at 54 Below. Congratulations again, because this is what an exciting time it must be. Your family must be very proud. Oh, yes, they are. Thank you. I appreciate it so much. It's been lovely speaking with you.